0: Thank you so much, Emily. Couldn't help but think about some of our Maranatha students and family that are going through some difficulties. Hope you're praying for Pastor Jeff Estes. Uh, you know, Jonathan and Lydia are here on our campus. I hope that song was an encouragement to them. He had a very serious car accident and he's still having surgeries to fix a lot of the problems. It's going to be a long recovery and I've been praying for him. Continue to pray for Esther and Sarah Ring sure the grief is still very, very heavy for them. And even for uh, Dave and Mark McMillan, who lost their father, I was texting with Mark just after our tour this week. He was our bus driver. And he said that this particular week of choir tour was actually pretty difficult for him because his dad used to text him every day while he was on choir tour to see how things were going. So he was texting me to see if there was any advice I had for him to, to help him get through the struggle that he was facing. And I know that, I know because I've lost loved ones as well, and some of you have, is, have too, that uh, sometimes the days are weary and the long nights are dreary, but we know our Savior cares. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And uh, whatever you're facing with the burdens of, of school, with the trials that you're facing at home, we know that there's a sovereign God who is in charge. But these are real things that we're facing in real situations that we need the loving, kind, comforting arms of our Savior. He is our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Marriage is what brings us together today. You recognize that, huh? So why would we deal with marriage? Other than the fact that this is the next text in 1 Peter. Why is it so important for you as a college student to hear a message about marriage? Well, hopefully you know the answer to that. Maybe you're sitting next to someone right now that's hoping you know the answer to that. There's several reasons why a message on marriage would be helpful for you as a college student. And this is the text that we are are in in 1 Peter chapter three. Think about this, hearing about God's plan for men and women in in marriage and in the home before you're married will prepare you for your future marriage. If God, God gives you a spouse and God allows you to be married, Not everybody will be married, and and, and actually there's some truth in the New Testament about being single, and many people are, are able to serve God even in a better way when they're single, so God doesn't have everyone to be married, but it is good for you to think about marriage before you're married, because there's a lot of wrong expectations as people approach marriage. There's a second reason why I think hearing a message on marriage is very appropriate for you as a college student right now. Secondly, hearing about God's plan for men and women in marriage will hopefully help you to strive for the ideal in your life. I'm talking about, are you going to be the woman you're supposed to be? Are you going to be the man you're supposed to be? So that you will be a great ladies a great wife and you as men a great husband number three we should hear about marriage before we're married because it'll help you seek for the right person and some of you are doing that every day okay i know there's budding romances going on all over i'm I'm sure and uh, maybe you're hopeful and maybe uh, one of the reasons why you come to a Christian college, I think, is, is because there's a lot of opportunities to get to know people that, that God could lead you to be your spouse. And so you need to know what to look for. This is why the truth of this text is so powerful for you. And I want to just encourage you, don't tune it out. Because there are, two, there are really two options when the preacher, especially at a college campus, uh, talks about marriage. Uh, there, there's a, one group of students that's like, ah, we don't need to hear about that now, and so they just kind of tune out. There's another group of students that they're so, they're so um, eager to get married, they're like on the edge of their seat. What, what, what is he going to say? But really, the, the truth of the Bible is clear in this text in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And what we want to do is we want to look at what does it mean to live? What does it mean to live as a pilgrim in marriage? Because remember, the overall theme of the book of First Peter is we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we are we are countercultural, we are to go against the flow of the world. We're we're not to fit in, and the people were being ridiculed and mocked and and uh, persecuted for their faith. And so it's interesting that Peter addresses this third category of of institution or, or submission. We have already seen that we're to, we're to submit in an employer employee relationship. We're to submit to the government. We've already seen that. And now he's addressing the way we are supposed to work together in marriage. And so it's important that we understand that living as a pilgrim will radically influence a Christian marriage. Living as a pilgrim will radically influence a believer's marriage. This is counter-cultural. And pilgrims always live going against the normal culture of their day. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be friends of the world. For friendship with the world is enmity with God. And you know, in our world today, there's a lot, surely you know this, there's a lot of confusion about masculinity and femininity, men and women, the roles of men and women, and how does that work together in a proper model, even in the home? And um, there are terms that are all over our world today. terms like, have you heard this one? Toxic masculinity." Anybody ever heard that before? A lot of you raising your hand. 2019, the American Psychological Association says that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful. There probably are some of us that they would, they would, they would probably describe as, as people who have toxic masculinity, and we need therapy for that. There's a lot of confusion about what, what does it mean to be a real man. Biblical manhood is, is a subject that really needs to be talked about in, in, in our setting here at Maranatha. What does, it, what does the Bible say about that? And we don't have time to cover, of course, all of that, but there's some truth here in this text concerning that. There's another term that is being thrown around in our Christian community today, and it's it's the term evangelical feminism. And this is the idea that you can have a really high view of Scripture and still come to a conclusion that, that men and women are fully equal in essence and role, and and that... Feminism is appropriate for a Christian woman. And really, there's a manipulation of the text of Scripture. There's a misinterpretation. And they're treating the Scripture very casually when they come to that conclusion. Because a normal reading of the Scripture would help us to see that men and women are equal in essence, but they are distinctively different in role. We know that we are equal in essence because of Galatians 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that one or the other is better than the other. We are equal in essence. But all across the scripture, there is a distinction in the function or the role of men and women. And I want to encourage you To think of it this way differences in role or function do not cancel out equality think about this Jesus submitted to his father and if we think about even the trinity we have equal in essence but distinct in roles they all are equally God they all have the same value and the same worth and if Jesus uh, was canceling out his equality by submitting to his father then he ceased to be God Think about this, he even submitted to his earthly parents, but it did not deny the fact that he was still God. And so it's important that we are counter-cultural. We're pilgrims, and I'm telling you, this is a text that a lot of people will run to and try to misinterpret, and they will try to manipulate it to say something that it's not saying. And it's really important that we understand that living as a pilgrim will radically influence a believer's marriage. More people are seeking to get out of marriage than are seeking to get into marriage. Did you know that? You need to have a right expectation. You need to have a biblical approach about marriage. Oh, there's a book that I have on my shelf called Sacred Marriage. The subtitle is this I think this is helpful. What if God made marriage to make you holy, not happy? You see, we typically think we go into marriage to be happy, but actually God is using your spouse and using the distinction in in your roles to to come together as a a married couple to make you more like Jesus Christ. So it's not about happiness, it's about holiness. It's about sanctification. It's about becoming more like Jesus Christ. And this is so otherworldly. This is so heavenly. This is a perspective that most people in the world don't think about. But it is taught to us clearly here in First Peter chapter 3. Notice what the Bible says in verses 1 through 7. I'll just read the text, and then we'll dig down to, uh, to some truths from this text about living as a pilgrim in our marriages. Chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of a great price." For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So, obviously, in just a casual reading of the text, you notice there are six verses that are dedicated to the ladies. And there's one verse dedicated to the men. Now, I do think ladies typically are way more detailed than the men. Can I get an amen, please? It's probably showing up in the academics here on campus, it probably shows up in many other places. But the reason why there are six verses for the ladies and one for the men is not because of that. I think that really, in the context of what he's writing about, you'll, if you remember back to chapter two, the primary emphasis was on the submission—the person who is submitting—and actually, there there was really little talk to the masters, and there was little talk to the governors, if any. There was there was really no admonitions to those, and so the primary emphasis that that he's saying is and showing is that. As a pilgrim, your attitude of submission and your response of submission is a testimony of, of the fact that you're living for something higher. You're going to heaven. You're a pilgrim. But it is interesting that he inserts one verse in this case because of the importance of the relationship in the home. And really, the, this, is, this is the primary institution that God has made, marriage, in the home. That he does address the men very strongly as well. And so we want to talk about these two areas. First of all, we want to look at the ladies. And then secondly, we want to look at the young men and how we are to respond in marriage. Now, don't forget, this is what we're learning. Living as a pilgrim will radically influence a believer's marriage. So how is a believer's marriage impacted and influenced when we're a pilgrim. I think first of all we see number 1 for all of the women in here and all of you that will be married, we need we need women to have voluntary submission in Christian marriage, voluntary submission. This is a passage that clearly follows verse 13 of chapter 2, verse 18 of chapter 2, which which are showing the submission to uh, as citizens to the government, submission at, as slaves to their masters, and the argument could come up that this was a cultural environment, this was only for that culture because of the, the nature of patriarchal uh, homes and those kinds of things, and this would, this would be one of the ways people would kind of uh, take this text and, and push it aside and, and say it's really not saying what it looks to be saying. But an attitude of submission to a husband's authority must be reflected in numerous words and actions of the wife. And it is important for us to understand that it is is not just a cultural mandate for that time period. Remember, God established marriage from the beginning. And we have all kinds of references across the scripture that repeat almost exactly what Peter is saying here. Paul's epistles, of course, give us that. And what we notice is that underneath this idea of submission of a wife, voluntary submission of a wife, we notice that a submissive wife is obedient to God. A submissive wife is being obedient to God. Be in subjection to your own husband. This is... This is acting as an imperative, and it's repeating what Ephesians 5, 22 says. Wives, submit yourself unto your own husband as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Notice both of these passages, one in Ephesians and one in Colossians, inserts this idea unto the Lord, or as it is fit unto the Lord. And really, ladies, it's important for you to recognize if God gives you a husband someday, you are not submitting to him because he himself is worthy of all that submission all the time. You are submitting. You are allowing him to lead. You are supporting his leadership because of the Lord, because it's obedience to God. It's the proper role in the home. Titus 2, verse 5 teaching women to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And actually, one of the most beautiful things that happens is when men and women in the home are equal in essence, but they're utilizing their roles properly, it is an incredible testimony. Remember, marriage marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. It's an incredible testimony of, of what God can do through Sinful people that he's redeemed that are functioning the way he sees as appropriate. So when you become a submissive wife, you are obeying God. And this is so foreign to our culture today. As it is really being pumped into the the culture of ladies today, the, 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 the female gender today, it is being pushed and promoted that you have every right you to be in control just as and, and, and you don't have to be this type of submissive person in the home and I, I just want to challenge you what is the biblical principle what is the biblical model and the only way this is possibly going to work in marriage is if we obey God we obey God submissive wives are obedient to God Number two, submissive wives are a witness for the gospel. Submissive wives are a witness for the gospel. Notice we read these verses. is clearly in the context talking to some of the wives that we're reading who had unsaved husbands. Oh, we know they were unsaved by, by by this phrase. They are obeying not the word. This is a popular phrase that Peter used over and over. Just reference chapter 2, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 3, verse 20. It is a clear reference to someone who is unsaved. The word would, would be synonymous with the gospel. So they're obeying not the word. This is somebody that is an unbeliever, and what he's saying is that the, the submission of the wife in her chaste conduct, this is pure and undefiled conduct in the home. Verse 2, while they behold your chaste conduct, coupled with fear. The word fear here would be a reference to the fear of God. I think Peter uses this word fear several times in his epistle and every time he's not talking about earthly human fear, he's talking about the fear of God. And so there's, there's this respect and reverence, there's this good conduct and reverence to God that is being shown by the wife and even when her husband is unsaved. I can tell you, young people, I've actually witnessed this. I've watched this happen where, where a, a wife was had gotten saved and her husband was unsaved and she uh, continued to live for maybe even several years uh, uh, this kind of pure and reverential life before her husband and was not just preaching at him all the time. It doesn't mean you can't share the gospel, but you gotta live the life in front of the husband. You gotta, he wants to see the gospel, not just hear the gospel. And, and I've actually seen where the, the husband has trusted Christ as a result of the testimony of a wife who is submissive in the home. I would say that even if you're married to a a saved man, which you should be, be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Okay, so you, you should obviously seek for someone that has the same faith and same values. But in the same way, I think it's a wonderful testimony of the power of the gospel that God can take two wicked people, redeem them, Put them in a relationship. Make them more powerful together than they were apart. That's why marriage is so incredible. It's a miracle. That you can do more together for the glory of God than you could apart from each other. That is a testimony of the power of the gospel. A submissive wife is a witness for the gospel. Number three, a submissive wife, this is important to recognize, a submissive wife has true duty. A submissive wife has true beauty and there is this conversation that he gives about the outward adorning and again the point here is not that you can't look nice I, I think that's obvious he's just saying the priority of a Christian woman and a Christian wife is not the flashy glamorous look at me type perspective when they adorn themselves we should be put together well we should look nice we should Carry ourselves in a way that is becoming the scripture says, ladies, you should be doing that, so we don't want to look dingy or or uh, we don't want to look uh, in a way that is distracting in an ugly way either, but the point he's making here is what is really true beauty all about and he says it very clearly when he says verse 4 but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible this word not corruptible is is also the word imperishable it's an adjective in in the new testament this adjective is only used to speak of things that never fade away there's something that will never fade away and that is the inward beauty and In this text, it says that inward beauty is shown through modesty and meekness. Modesty and meekness. What does it mean to be modest? We talk about this a lot. We have a dress code. What does it mean to be modest? It's it's being clothed with humility, it's dressing in a way that shows respect to God. Showing respect to God, the gospel, and your Christian brothers. And ladies, this is very important. That's true beauty. And then he talks about meekness. What is meekness? This this is not insisting on your own way. It's not being pushy or selfish or assertive. It's not demanding your own way. It's strength under control. And what God says here in this text under inspiration is this is what is true beauty. Guys, I want to challenge you. That's, That's the kind of wife you ought to be looking for. Obviously, no one no young man wants to marry somebody he doesn't feel like there's an attraction to that's beautiful, even externally. And ladies should take good care of yourselves and dress in a modest way. And and, 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 in that way, you can be beautiful as well. But the true beauty that lasts, the true beauty that is imperishable is what's on the inside. It's It's what's in their heart. It's the inward person, the hidden man of the heart. So a submissive wife has true beauty. And finally, a submissive wife is precious to God. A submissive wife is precious to God. We know this because he gives illustrations of the ladies of the Old Testament. He, he brings them out in the New Testament and he talks about Sarah and he talks about others here. For after this manner in the old time, the holy, men, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. It is obvious that through inspiration, Peter is lifting up and, and God is using this text to lift up this kind of a woman. And at the end of verse four it says, in the sight of God is a great price. You know the text probably well. Proverbs chapter 31. Let me just read for you a few of those verses. This is what God says is precious. Verse 10 Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Later on in the passage, verse 25, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praiseth her. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be Praised. And again, I know that this is in some ways totally countercultural to even try to communicate this truth from the Bible. But ladies, this is the kind of godly woman you should seek to be so that God can use you as a wonderful, submissive, obedient wife to God and to your husband. You see, living as a pilgrim will radically, and this is radical, will radically influence a believer's marriage. All right, let's, let's get to the guys, all right? Verse six, or excuse me, verse seven. Likewise, you husbands. I think this is clear. Not only do we need wives that have voluntary submission to the leadership of their husband, but we need to have husbands who have, I think this is really the, the idea here, who have consistent sensitivity towards their wife consistent sensitivity and of course we know that this is given to us many times in the new testament ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for it love your wife as your own body verse 28 says he that loveth his wife loveth himself and what he says here in this text is that we are to live according to knowledge a sensitive husband number one will understand his wife I think the knowledge that Peter intends here may include the knowledge, any knowledge that would benefit the husband and wife relationship. You need to know her desires. You need to know her fears. You need to know her longings, her purposes. It would also include the knowledge of the principles of marriage found in the scripture, the knowledge of of God, the knowledge of your wife, her strengths, her weaknesses, her physical, emotional needs. There needs to be a sensitivity to the needs of your wife. You need to understand your wife. And guys, this this means you ought to do some talking to some ladies and figure out how how you can get this kind of sensitivity. I would encourage you, and I know this may sound strange to you, but I would encourage you, young men, as you're seeking and approaching the idea of marriage, that you ought to spend some good quality and quantity time with your mom. And you ought to be asking questions about how to relate to women and how, how you can create this kind of sensitivity instead of being harsh and cold and even angry in your leadership or in your demeanor. I think your mothers probably could give you a lot of help. I hope you have a relationship with your mom that would, would kind of help in that situation. Be a sensitive husband. Be a sensitive man. So, sensitive husband will seek to understand his wife. Number two, a sensitive husband will treat his wife with great care. We see this in verse 7. Giving honor to the wife. This is the idea. Great care. I think, I think of like a, a beautiful piece of china. It's very strong. It's very useful. It's very beautiful. That's the way a godly woman is. They're very strong. They're very useful. And they're very Beautiful. But the, the, it's it's something that you treat with great care. It can be broken easily, and and the, and the wife is the weaker vessel. And I want to be very clear again: we're equal in essence, but it is obvious that women are the weaker vessel because we don't see any women playing in the NFL. Okay, so they're obviously weaker physically. They're weaker in authority because God has placed the authority of the home in the leadership of the man. And they are sensitive, very sensitive emotionally. And typically they're going to respond in a different way. And you know what? What's really beautiful is that when a man and a wife get married and the, the uh, strengths of the husband are that stability and that leadership and the ability to move forward and to handle things without all that emotion. And and yet the wife is very sensitive and very, maybe even even emotional. And and you learn from each other. And, And the truth is, you're gonna be a better person because of it. There is absolutely no way I would be who I am today without my wife. Absolutely no way I would be nearly the man I am today. I'm a better man before God because of my wife. And I think she would say the same for for her relationship with God. And it's important that we recognize men that ladies are the weaker vessel. Be a gentleman. Help them. Carry their burdens. Be willing to listen. One of the things that really bothers me even here around campus is why are we not opening the door for them? Why are we not um, letting them go first? These are old chivalrous type things that some people say we don't have to do anymore. You know what? I I think we should be men of God and we should be gentlemen. We should treat ladies in the right way. So a sensitive husband will treat his wife with great care. Number four, or number three, a sensitive husband will remember that his wife is equal in importance. Equal in importance. And I think this is, we've already spoken about this, but notice how he says it in verse seven. They are joint heirs. There's no, there's no difference in our equality. Equal in essence, but different in role. A, a sensitive husband will remember that his wife is equal in importance. And finally, a sensitive husband is doing God's will. This is interesting. So concerned is God that a Christian husband does this that he will literally, God will literally interrupt his relationship with you. He will, your prayers will be hindered if you are not living as a sensitive loving leader in the home, right? So we have the voluntary submission. We have the consistent sensitivity. And when the man is the loving leader and the wife is the submissive follower, they both are strong. They're both being used of God and you put them together in a marriage. It's a powerful thing. And it's a demonstration of the power of of God in, in people's lives. If you, as a believer, choose to put yourself in a marriage, this is the only way that you can do it right. There is no other way to do it right. So, I exhort you, don't get married if you're not going to do this. Don't get married. You still have a choice. You're not married yet. You don't have to be married, but if you're going to be married... This is the way pilgrims live in marriage. This is God's ordained plan. And I would exhort you to really consider this, and there's other passages you could go to. I would exhort you as you are approaching that, and some of you are very close. Maybe we have engaged couples here, dating couples here, uh, hopeful dating couples, okay? We, We know that those things are happening. But you gotta know what the Bible says. And you gotta be willing to live as a pilgrim, it's radical. It's totally countercultural, but it's right. And you know what? It's beautiful. It's wonderful before God. God will bless you, and God will give you a wonderful marriage, and God will give you a wonderful home, and it'll be exciting for us to watch you obeying God in this area. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I pray that you would quiet our hearts and teach us your ways concerning these verses, and these truths. The world has so twisted the clear truth and really the designed, beautiful relationship that you have made in marriage. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to put aside the false teachings and the false philosophies and believe you, believe your word. And I pray that you would help these college students as they Seek the right spouse as they, many of them do end up getting married that you would bless them in an incredible way. Lord, what we need is strong marriages which will build strong families which build strong churches and then the Church of America could be used to see a great revival in this country. It starts with each of us committing to this kind of future marriage. Pray that you bless us, help us to be Consume with your truth, not the lies of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.